what is this God? I remember one guy said, what is this about Abraham's God? He, he, he calls him out. He, he, he moves him through the desert. And then if that's not enough, he says, give me your son. He said, what kind of God asks for everything? A God who gives everything. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. So hopefully it's good or not for you, but hopefully somewhere in between. And regardless of what you feel, it's good to be in church. Uh, community has a way of, you know, lifting all of us or pulling some of us down. Community is a powerful equalizer of faith. And so this evening I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about religion. And it's a difficult topic, and I wrestle with this. This is one of the hardest presentations I ever prepared. But it's good to be here at Night Church. Um, I was thinking last time, Night Church, uh, I was here a couple years ago. It was over in the little Sabbath school area, and it was a small group. And, and then I come into this big room. It's, a, it's nice to see what happens uh, in the three years. Most of the last three years, we've been focused, uh, at least half of those three years, on covid so it's good to see a church that went ahead and kept building and obviously kept growing during COVID. So it's good to be here at Night Church. And uh, predominantly, I'm an online teacher. Uh, that's what I do. I guide dissertations at uh, Andrews University. I get nervous sometimes when I speak because I'm used to discussions more than uh, what I call the Randy Roberts style, <laughs> which is memorize everything, and uh, he and, and Dwight have a, the best style of communicating. It's like, I finally figured out why it's so effective. It's almost like, you know, when you, when you have a surprise for somebody, like a spouse or a friend, and you sneak up on them. They have a way of sneaking up on you, and oh, you find the truth, and then, oh, I didn't see it coming, and then you walk away. It's kind of like, you know, somebody comes up with a gift behind you, and then you get interested and, and curious, what do they got there, what, what do you got going, what do you have, and, and all of a sudden, out comes some flowers or chocolate or a little gift, and that's what I, I'm not going to do that this evening. That's not, that's not my style. Plus, I'm always worried. I didn't think night church, I, I was honest with you, I didn't think night church would make it. Because, I'm sorry, I know, ye of little faith. Because I thought, man, these people are going to be tired at the end of a long week. And, man, there's no curiosity, no, no keeping the peeking behind the back. And here's the gift. So I've decided, I'll next slide, I decided to go ahead and give you the punchline and kind of the whole spill just in the title. Uh, so really, I want to speak to you about how and why of church. Why do we do this? Uh, isn't there easier ways to, to go about spiritual community? In fact, can I just stay home and do spirituality by myself? It's a lot easier. I get along with myself better than the rest of you. Is there a place for organized religion? 
And I just, I'll be right blunt with you. I'm old school. I'm going to make an argument for religion, right? And there's a lot of evidence that I should not be arguing for organized religion. I mean, history is full of evidence against what I'm going to argue for tonight. And I realize that. It's kind of like, wow, this is a tough topic. I'm here for organized religion. Let's go, right? And so I want you to right know, know that that's what I, my argument is. And if you had a rough week and you doze off, the good thing is somebody asks you what it's about, you say he talked about organized religion, he's in favor of it, and it really helps community, and you'll be fine. Plus I found, plus I found as a teacher, uh, sometimes my arguments wander, and so if I get lost, you know where we're headed. And so if you get there before I do, that's all right, okay? So let's pray. Dear God, you called out people in the past, and they organized things, and we became parts of them. And sometimes we differ with them. Sometimes we disagree with them. We can't understand why Paul said that. But Lord, we're benefactors of that. In fact, we're in a space right now. I didn't build this space. It's so good to be worshiping here in this space. But past generations have. Help us understand this, this call to be the church. This call to be building on the church of the past for the church of the future. Lord, you have been good to us. You've been good to our parents and our grandparents. And for generations, you have been our God. Go with us now into the future, a bold future, a scary future, with a sense of your presence in our lives. We thank you. Amen. So the next slide. Um, so I want to confess right now that one of the biggest competitions for church uh, is the evangelistic message of John Lennon. Because John Lennon, and it is an evangelistic song. This is actually a fantastic evangelistic song. And that is, imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us. Imagine all the people just living for today. Right? Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Yeah, you, you, you want to come up here and start singing? You, don't you feel it? I mean, that's why it's a good evangelistic song. You feel it coming on already. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. I know you could have done much better, but we, I didn't have time to choreography with you. But that, See, isn't that a great evangelistic message? Right? Great evangelistic message. And I kind of agree with a lot of this. You know, I kind of, I like, yeah, I like it. I want more peace. You know, I'm tired of divisions. Right? Boundaries between countries have really been a big issue. Just getting from Argentina, it's a big issue. Yeah, imagine no countries, right? Or the thing I'm really on to, you know, no more division by religion and no more division by face mask and vaccination. Man, I am so tired of my church in a battle over face masks and vaccinations. It's kind of like, yeah, I, I'm with Lenin. 
all group hug, man. Everybody group hug. Let's have peace and unity, right? And so I kind of agree with it. Martin Luther King. I agree with Martin Luther King's dream that finally there will be a day when you won't judge somebody by the color of their skin but the content of the character. Yeah. Or, or, or how about the day when women can rise without being fettered by sexism or sexual exploitation, mm. right? So I'm thinking, yes, Lenin, a new world order. Okay, I better not say that in Okay, I believe in a new world order, right? So next slide. I agree with Lenin, but I have, I disagree on the religion part. I see religion as a power, but it's, it's like a revved up machine. You got to learn how to use the steering wheel, the pedals, and the brakes, right? And so Religion is a power. We're going to talk about some of the mysterious aspects of religion. Kind of do a, well, I don't have very long. I know they told me, be careful, because I could go a long time. I had to cut, cut, cut. But I want to do a kind of a tour of the church, right? Starting the Old Testament, and then moving really fast to the New Testament, and then to our time. Okay, we'll really try to keep, but we're going to hang around with Abraham. It's kind of interesting, too, because Abraham is the kind of the father of Abrahamic religions. Okay, that's kind of obvious, right? You got Judaism and Christianity and Muslim. They all kind of trace back to this man. So we're going to start in Genesis 12 to get the core of what religion is, right? And so here's the passage. And the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household to the land I will eventually show you. It's kind of implied there. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here we have kind of the core of what some of religion is. And it's what irritates Lenin. I, I mean, I don't know if speaking for him, but I could tell you why he would be irritated by this passage. There's several elements in there that don't go with the mojo of, you know, imagine just coming together as one. And the first thing is it starts out with this what? I want you to leave people. And he said, well, how, how do you create unity by calling somebody out? Right? I mean, no, that's not, that's not, that's so exclusive and kind of elitist. In fact, it gets even worse. Why does he call them out? Because I want to make you great. Now, you should right there start having some, starting having some discomfort. You've been hearing a lot about that for about four or five years about making things great. And it kind of stinks, doesn't it? Oh, it kind of stinks. I mean, both sides, both political sides. It's like, you know, I'm tired of hearing about making this great. But here, what does he say? Uh, hey, I want you to leave that group, and I'm going to make you great. All right? I'm going to make you great. Now, what's good is he, 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 he couples it. It doesn't even end the sentence with that. And you will be a blessing. See, that's the, that's the, that's the key difference between 
Old Testament greatness in, I don't know, whatever you call the last five-year greatness, right? There's a difference. And one is I'm pulling you out so that you can be trained for excellence so I could send you back to be a blessing. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. So go to the next slide. And so this chosenness really bothers people. And this, this, uh, this author has really helped me see why chosenness is not a call to elitism. And I'm, I'm kind of old school, so I'm going to read this. You could read it too, I know, because you all look pretty well trained. Okay, we touch here on a great spiritual mystery. To be chosen does not mean that others are rejected. It is very hard, and I like that, very hard to conceive of this in a competitive world such as ours. It's a zero-sum game out there, politically, sports teams, everything. Nobody really gets the mojo of, you know, the chosenness because of all this competitive layer. You know how in our extremely competitive society, the chosen ones are looked at with special attention. But to be chosen as the beloved of God is something radically different. Instead of excluding others, it includes others. Instead of rejecting others as less valuable, it accepts others, a compassionate choice. Right? I beg you, do not surrender the word chosen. And I, would, I guess I would come back to you and say, don't give up on this status that your religion calls you to, to be separate, distinct. Moses called it, be ye holy as I am holy, right? He says, no, be ye holy was a called out. It's kind of a priestly term. You're a royal nation, a holy people, called out, carved out. I don't want you like that. I want you coming away from that. I want you over here, chosen chosen. I beg you, do not surrender the word chosen to the world. Dare to claim it as your own, even when it is constantly misunderstood. When you lose touch with your chosenness, you expose yourself to temptation. He goes on to talk about being undermined when you forget your status in God, your status with Abraham as a chosen nation. You, you give in to the dark voices telling me you are nothing, Nothing special. You are just another person among millions. These voices are increasingly powerful, marked by so many broken relationships. Every time a broken relationship happens, what? You get unchosen. You feel unchosen. You feel separated, right? And so God says, no, I want to create a church where the chosen reverberate with each other their chosenness. And I know it sounds like elitism. What is this elitism? No, you come together to remind yourself that you were chosen. Right? Church is powerful. Church is necessary. I need church. We have to dare to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones, even when our world does not choose us. As long as we allow our parents. Okay, this is where you got to be careful. I always interpret things, but notice how... Abraham was called out from his family, called out from his society, left, right? And look at this. As long as we allow our parents, siblings, teachers, friends, lovers 
to determine whether we are chosen or not, we are caught in the net of a suffocation world that accepts or rejects us according to its own agenda of effectivity and control. So what if there is a community where your chosenness, every so often, was renewed? Like you get beat up, you know, beat, beat, beat up, beat, beat, beat up, and then you come back and you say, wow, no, no, I am chosen. That's right. You know, I made mistakes, I made this, but now I'm rechosen. Like, what if we did it periodically? Like, once a week, right? That's church, right? You come to worship God, but you also come to reestablish your status. Next slide. So, now I, 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 don't, I know, you know, see, this is what's hard for me as a teacher. I know you're not taking notes. It's night church. It's okay. You don't have to. It's been a tough week. <laughs> I know. But if you're keeping lists, I, I have a list of 10, okay? I'm going to give you six, and the other ones I make it a little harder to find, but they'll be there, okay? So here are the six so far. You should have got them, but if not, just want to make sure they won't be on test. That's why I'm not in school. It's, this is night church, night church, okay? But here's the six, and there's a good six, and maybe meditate on the six. Number one, religion is an encounter with God or the transcendence. And that's just weird. Okay, I'll just be honest. It's weird. What does that mean? The stars at night? I don't know. That's where, that's where he was. He was at night church when this all happened. He was looking up at the stars, and God nudged him and said, hey, I'm going to give you more, more kids, more family than all the stars. You really? Okay, okay. Sounds good. I mean, he was at night church. That's where, I mean, this is what he, he had a transcendent experience. He's seen these stars. And this is pre-pollution, so you could really see the stars, okay? <laughs> right? Encounter with God. A foundational call out of one's current social, moral, or spiritual status. I want you out of there. Okay? It's weird. I mean, I know it doesn't fit with Lennon's mojo. The envisioning of a better yet-to-be-realized I'm going to take you someplace, and we're not there yet. You just fall. We're, not, we're going to get there. Just, I want to show it's going to be better. It's a new world. Not order. i got to be careful about that. An understanding of one's special role, a chosenness in making that new world. In other words... This new world somehow is coming through you as a chosen, okay? This is what, I mean, it's happening with Abraham and an invitation towards grouping. So once we pull you out, I'm going to make you a great nation. You say, well, if you're pulling me out of that nation, do I'm going alone? No, 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 you're not going alone. You're going to become a great nation. So you're going you're gonna to have to organize, okay? You're going to have to be working together. You're going to have to have evangelism. You're going to have to have... You have to grow this nation. So there's, there's a movement into organized religion, if you want to call it that. Uh, so it's an invitation to grouping. And then at its core, it is a call to be a blessing. That one you never have to, you don't want to lose track of that. Because if you get too chosen and not a blessing, we know what that feels like. We've experienced that. Next slide. And so this is kind of a crazy religion. It is. I mean, it is kind of weird. Hey, I want you to go. Leave that. I'll show you on the way when we get there. And then, then we run into passages like this, Hebrews 11. Abraham says, okay, I'm in. He took the bait. Can you imagine that? Out there in the stars, feeling like, yeah, thinking I have some inspiration. And then he follows up on this moment encounter with God, and he does it. And I'm sure all of you have had those moments where you think, oh, this is crazy. I shouldn't do this, but I think God's calling me to do it. Well, this is his whole life, and he, call, he follows through, and look what happens. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. 
by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he left. And this is the part that really disturbs me about religion in general, but this is so powerful. Not knowing where he was going. Now, I don't know about you, but they say you should never get in a car with somebody that doesn't know their directions. And they say you should never join an organization where the leader doesn't know where it's going. And yet here we're called to follow Abraham, and he didn't know where he was going. And I think this is a powerful metaphor for the type of religion Abrahamic traditions were trying to create. And that is, you're called to a journey more than to a destination. In fact, if you, if you need the GPS coordinates along the way, you're not going to get them in religion. I mean, you get some guidelines. You get some general directions. But it, it won't be like, do I have pictures where I'm going? Do I have reviews? No. It's messier than that. And this is, if you're keeping a list, this is the one. You have to have faith in religion to make it work. And this is, this is hard. Hard for me. Hard, hard, I bet even for pastors. What does that mean to be faith? Because you can be gullible, and that's not really faith. And you could be wanting more evidence, and no, I want demonstration, and that's not faith. It's somewhere in this area of enough evidence to make a decision kind of thing. And I tell people, you know, there's, so religion is almost like all social in, institutions or experiences. There's a lot of risk and just a lot of figuring out as you go. Uh, my wife and I have been married for, what is it, 33? 33 years. And we should have gotten married. We really shouldn't. We were not prepared. I didn't know we weren't prepared. I'm glad I didn't know because it's turned out okay. <laughs> no, that, that's what it takes, right? Social, social experiences are stressful. You don't know what's going to happen. This person who you marry might just go off the deep end, right? Or how about following a leader? You know, if you've ever had to follow a leader, you say, by this guy, he's got this good, this good, this good, but this one, but you, you say, you know, but it's enough. I'm going to follow. All social experiences take a tremendous amount of faith, and you just plunge in. And along the journey, you figure it out. Not knowing where he was going. Do you feel that? It's, it's kind of unnerving. And this is the call of faith. And this is why community is so important. Because there's times when that not knowing gets so low, you need to be propped up in your chosenness by people around you. you, know, you need to get away from the suffocating rigidity of the world. I was telling one person one time that I was quite the legalist growing up. And I became very religious. And my legalism really got oppressive. I went to two meals a day. I was very exacting on myself. And for a while there, I blamed my church. And then it finally dawned on me that no, no, I came in pretty much 
as a good legalist. I became better at it, but I mean, I came in really with the skill sets already there. And I'm so glad I was a legalist in the church because a lot of these older people kept talking about love, and I was just interested in obedience and just hanging around the church as a legalist. turned out to be a very good place for me to be because it softened me over time. Sometimes you need religious community to get you through these journeys of not knowing where you're going because it gets difficult. It's really difficult. But that's why you have community because somebody's up when you're down and you're up when somebody else is down and you share that enthusiasm that goes with it. Let's go to the next slide. So, so, so far, I don't know if you're tracking with me, if you're keeping track, so far, I'm feeling like I'm losing to Lenin because I'm already creating a very difficult picture of religion. Yeah? Exclusivity, kind of craziness, not know where we're going. You have to have a lot of faith. And Lenin, man, he's just got a nice song and seems like a so great place to go. Why would you want to go to church? Well, it's going to get worse now, so just hang on. And that is, we fast forward, because I know we got, I got to hurry up, because Abraham, I got to get through the whole Old Testament and the New Testament, and then 200, I got 2,000 years to get to our, okay, I'm, I'm hurrying up. Okay, so we'll fast forward. So we go to the next big transition. The next big transition is the New Testament church. And the good thing is we have Stephen. And Stephen does an excellent job of summarizing Abraham, summarizing the Old Testament, and announcing the New Testament church, all in kind of one sermon. This happens to be his last sermon, unfortunately, uh, because uh, they didn't like his basic argument. And here's his argument. And this is kind of shocking. So he looks at Abraham and he said, Acts 7.5 states, God gave him no inheritance in the land that he promised him. And just, just when you think, well, I, Stephen, are you, are, you, are you talking about Abraham and the promise that I'm going to make you a great nation? Yeah, that's the one. And basically what he's saying is Abraham, Abraham never made it. Unsuccessful. Didn't make it. And just to make sure you didn't miss that, he adds this. Not even a foot of ground. And he said, okay. He didn't know where he was going. And then when he kind of figured out some things, he never even made it. So is this religion? Religion is kind of mysterious. It's kind of, why is it so hard? And then even when you're good at it, you're never quite there. Moments you're too legalistic. Moments you're too harsh. Moments you worry too much. Moments you should have worried a little bit more. Right? And so you start realizing that this is a walk with God in a community of faith where we're all kind of, as, as they point out, to be a little real, we're all kind of fragmented, you know? And this is what it is. It's kind of great. I like it. It's great. It's a human community that's experiencing God together. And yet, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession into his descendants after him, even though... He had no child. This is why I like the Bible. The Bible is so mysterious. You keep learning. What do you mean? What are you talking about here? What do you mean? He didn't make it. Well, the interesting thing is you and I, you and I are the stars he saw in heaven. 
He didn't make it, but like a good grandfather, he set out on a journey and said, oh, I'm, a, I'm going this far, and I just hope, I hope they keep journeying, the journey with God. And they buried him under the oaks. I love it. And that's it. He's dead. Never got a foot in the land, but he was still searching for it. I love that. That's religion. No, that's organized religion where, where people have a passion and they do crazy things. And it pushes them out into the world and they love, right? I just, I just think it's, you can't bottle it. You can't bottle that. That's the power of religion. Not knowing where he's going and never making it. What is this God? I remember one guy said, what is this about Abraham's God? He, he, he calls him out. He, he, he moves him to the desert. And then, if that's not enough, he says, give me your son. He said, what kind of God asks for everything? A God who gives everything. Religion is so potent. I no wonder these people don't like it in the world. It's so potent. It can make you bad, but it can make you good. It can make you a godly person. And this is what's missed by religion and organized religion. Next slide. I better keep moving. because. So the, I know this is long, but this is Stephen. So, you know, it's his last sermon. Give him some time, okay? So... Our fathers, and so he's now fast-forwarding, our fathers had a tabernacle of the testimony. Our fathers, in turn, received it, and they also brought it to Joshua. Okay, okay, I see where we're going. Okay, I see where we're going. So you got Abraham, and then you got Moses, and Moses was seeing this, the temple in heaven, and Jesus said, I, uh, God told him, I want you to build it just like that so the people can relate to me, and I'm going to dwell among them. And so what Stephen is saying, hey, hey, they did that. They built the tabernacle. God came in their presence, and they carried that thing. They carried that tabernacle all the way with Joshua until the time of David. And if you, you know, get it out, it's about 450 years. They're just carrying this thing around all over the place, carrying it around. Why do we keep carrying this one? Just carrying it around with this religious stuff. Carrying it around, carrying it around, carrying it around, right? This is religion. Carrying around artifacts, carrying around meaning, carrying around ideas. And, and it says here, and they received it. In other words, they understood it. They understood the meanings of it, and they carried it until the time of David. And this is kind of a little switch. And David found favor in God's sight. And David is kind of the high watermark of religion. You got Abraham and Moses fills in a lot of details, but it's Abraham and David everybody kind of identifies with, right? And but. It was Solomon who built the temple. So he's, he's fast-forwarding because he's getting almost ready to be killed, so he's got to hurry up. But it was Solomon who built a house for David. And, and right about now, you could tell a switch in Stephen's sermon. And he pauses, and he's got to prepare us for the New Testament church. And then he says this, However, as good as that was, and that's very good. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, David. Thank you, Solomon. Thank you, prophets and minor prophets. As good as all that is, I want to let you know, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Uh, earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? And then you could feel it coming. The critique of religion. And, and Lenin would appreciate this. You men 
who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And in that subtle difference, he is now isolating good religion, bad religion. Good religion, bad religion. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And you have now become the betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. And herein is the corrective element within religion to correct even religion when it gets off track. And that is, it has to continue to progress, move forward. It has to move forward with the movement of the Holy Spirit. And this has been the hardest thing, not only for Judaism, not only for Christianity, but even our community of Adventism. Where is the Holy Spirit? Next slide, please. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Okay, so you look back and you say, wow, they were on fire. That's tradition. can be good. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Okay, and I suppose I should add, it is traditionalism living on somebody else's past faith. Ooh, now I'm getting a little close to home. Parents or whoever, instead of making your own living faith. Okay, that gives tradition such a bad name. Next slide. And this is why John Lennon is partly right. There is a problem with religion. The problem is, if it's not a vibrant, healthy religion in which you're walking with the Holy Spirit, moving with the mystery of faith in the unfolding providence of God. I like Gibbons. Gibbons said, you know, the theologian may indulge the pleasing task of describing religion as she descended from heaven arrayed in her native purity. Beautiful, beautiful. A more melancholy task is that of the historian. He must discover the inevitable mixture of error and corruption which she contracted for in a long residence upon earth among a weak and de degenerate race of beings. What makes religion so potentially bad is that it gets mixed with our own fallenness. It's not that organized religion is bad. It's that we have the tendencies to make it that way. And that's why the Lord sent his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, sometimes kicking us, move us, move us, move you, right? And that's what makes organized religion potentially so toxic. But all these elements that I've listed so far are what also make it potentially powerful and why you need to participate in it and not live off on some island by yourself with your spirituality, but live in community. Next slide. So I got to keep it simple, and that is really the Holy Spirit is reminding us just keep swimming in the flow I have, in the, the passage I have. In fact, you could really look at Ellen White's, if you, if you want to capture the next 2,000 years of religion, it's really the same as Stephen said. You have the highs and you have the lows. You have people who resisted God, who didn't. Her book, 
great controversy is outstanding. Shows you, shows you this ebb and flow, the evil of religion, but the potential good of it. Fast, next slide, please. So I want to end in case I, you know, I get theoretical, and I always I do that. And, but those are the ten. If you didn't get them, that's too bad. You got six of them at least, and maybe seven or eight. Uh, but the last one I don't want you to miss, and that is the tenth characteristic of a Judeo-Christian religion is that it always traces and tracks the movement of the Holy Spirit. And that's what keeps it healthier. But I want to give you four, at least, at least we end without giving some solid evidence. Religion has been very helpful. So I, I had my own spiritual journey after I left Loma Linda here. I taught religion here. And then I went to a public university. And I was, in, uh, I was having my own challenges. And let's just say uh, God had to... Uh, helped me through that period of my life. And so I was at this public university seven years, and I thank the Lord to this day for that experience. But uh, one, one time I, I saw an ad in the, news, uh, the University of Akron, about 22,000 students, and they said this Nobel Peace Prize winner of economics was going to come and talk about religion. And that really got my attention. I said, ooh, Nobel laureate, I like that. In economics, okay, that's interesting, outside my area, on religion. I'm interested in that. So his name is Robert Fogle, and he came and spoke. I got his book before and read it, and I was amazed at it. And in this book and in his presentation, he said, listen, I want to be very clear. I may be an economist, but I believe that religion and organized religion has played such a powerful role in the history of the United States in improving this country. I said, okay, tell me, tell me. He said he traced each of the four great religious awakenings. And I know this is a, this is a school that has mostly dental and medical stuff. I hopefully, they have a few history classes here. I don't know. We have them at Andrews. But that's okay. Uh, I love Lomelin. But anyway, if you've taken U.S. history, there's four great religious awakenings. And each one of them led to a powerful revival in this country. The First Great Awakening actually led to more religious liberty. For a while there, it was touch and go. We didn't know if we were going to have religious liberty in this country. Some, some places said, no, here in Maryland, it's going to be this. Here in this, it's going to be this. And finally, because of, and you don't need to know, William Penn and Roger Williams, kind of religious liberty came, became part of the fabric of this country because of the First Great Awakening. Second Great Awakening, that's us. Oh, okay. Avenus, those who are Avenus here. October 22nd, does that ring a bell? No, you got it. Okay, I was going to ask it, but I didn't know if we had a, you know, Avenus, you know, I was going to do like a, like a Jeopardy, Avenus Jeopardy. What is October 22nd, 1844? Okay, so you got it. That was the second great awakening. And that actually led, and you could trace it. Uh, in fact, some two, uh, two of the best professors out there right now, Kevin Burton is just powerful. His dissertation is on the early uh, Avenus fight against racism. Powerful. Out of the Second Great Awakening came anti-slavery uh, abolitionist movements in the United States, finally getting, getting rid of some of that evil that's still pernicious with us. But in the Third and Fourth Great Awakenings, he traces, led to the civil rights and other social uh, uh, experiences. So religion has done good. I'm mean, giving you practical evidence. Next slide. So in addition to that, in 2012, I ran across this ad and 
uh, about this author. And so I got the article. It took me two days to read this article. It's just a, it's an article, but it's a really complex article by Woodbury in which he says that he tracks missionaries, Christian missionaries in the world, Catholics, Reformed, and confessionary Protestant missionaries in the world, tracks them, and then shows how where the confessionary Protestants went, democracy eventually followed. Now, it's assuming that you're for democracy. I don't know. I never know anymore. But I'm for democracy, by the way, and I think it's a good, and it brings human flourishing, and I think it aligns with what Abraham was called to be a blessing. But, okay, that's a, a more complex thing. But if you trace it, the conversionary Protestantism is people who believe in baptism, adult baptism. And see, these people believe that you had to make an intelligent choice about God to follow him. And that to, be an, uh, to make an intelligent choice, you need to be literate enough to be able to read Scripture and interpret it for yourself so you can make your own decision. So they started schools, and they figured you also should be able to read, and so they f uh, found presses, and then they had debates, and they created whole societies in which democracy flourished. And so this is a powerful demonstration that organized religion can have a benefit in the world. Next one is my personal friend. Next slide. My uh, same year that this was published, my friend Nick Miller, outstanding. If you follow his post, he gets beat up most of the time on, on COVID vaccination right now. But otherwise, he's constantly talking about religious liberty. He's a religious liberty lawyer, went to Columbia Law School, and then got a, uh, a JD there, and he's got a PhD from uh, Notre Dame. And his dissertation for Notre Dame was on the religious roots of the First Amendment. Descending Protestants in the separation of church and state. And he traces their spiritual understanding of priesthood of all believers and how that influenced especially William Penn and others to create in the First Amendment a right to freedom of religion for everybody. And he traces it. It's a powerful tracing. And he says, you can't trace that. And he, and he, he won an award for this. You can't trace it to, to the liberal uh, ideas of the Enlightenment you have to trace it to the biblical understandings of the priesthood of all believers. Next slide. Uh, so, uh, a little less known is my dissertation, which was on, which was on this institution where you're at. I studied the the rise and the growth of Loma Linda University, and traced why a bunch of ragtag Adventists who believed in these crazy ideas of hell could grow a worldwide system of continuing the healing and teaching ministry of Christ. You want to know why? It's because they were an organized religion. You, know? you organize people, especially when they work for free, and that's what happened in the early days. They worked for very little, and they got this place started. Now it's looking pretty nice. Uh, but it takes a while, right? They went where they did not know they were going. Another one, next slide. So right on this property is just some of the best examples of what a faith community can, can do. And finally, the next slide. My doctoral student last year, uh, Cecia Pimentel, uh, her husband is the new uh, dean of the 
seventh medical school, Seventh day Adventist, started in Rwanda. It took them a couple years because of COVID, but they did start last year. She did her dissertation on Adventist healthcare, how the founding governing principles of a little, little lady called Ellen White, she traces 12 of the principles and shows how they affected healthcare development in the United States and us uh, in the world. So the bottom line, next slide, is that when we organize around this radical call into the unknown, not knowing where we're going, but stepping with God, great things can happen. And so I thought, well, I better simplify it because I'm an academic. They've got to have a bumper sticker to go home with. And the bumper sticker would say something like this, go make disciples. Go step out, move. It's fearful. It's, it's hard. You don't know where you're going. It's okay. Be real. It's, it's, it's scary. Make. Make is complex. Make. What do you mean? How do you make? Well, it could be pastoral. It could be educational. That's where I hang out. It could be health care. It could be any way. Parenting, music, teaching Spanish to people. Whatever it takes, go make. And then finally, back to the core of why we're here. Disciples of who? Christ. Because he is worth following. And he's worth following him together as a community. So I hope, I hope that at least offsets some of Lennon's argument and says, hey, religion can be good. Thank you for listening to me. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.